This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. After widespread criticism of the slowness of Ontario's vaccine rollout, the province promised to do better. The Premier pledged that by January 21st, all residents, staff and essential caregivers in long-term care homes in the hardest hit areas, and that's Toronto Peel, York and Windsor-Essex, will get their shots by January 21st. So what about the people in the 138 homes uh, that are in outbreak outside those regions? That's more than half of the 220 homes that are now in outbreak. Meanwhile, as you heard in Bob's news, the carnage continues. Today, Ontario is reporting another 47 nursing home deaths, as well as two more staff members dying. That's from yesterday. And since yesterday, as I just said, another four homes are in outbreak. So meanwhile, there's talk about changing the vaccine protocol, extending the lag time between the first and second doses, or maybe getting rid of the the second dose altogether. What do you think? And uh, do you have loved ones, friends, uh, spouses in long-term care? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's bring in Dr. Alon Baseman, an epidemiologist at the University Health Network, and Donna Duncan, CEO. CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association. Thank you for joining us and welcome. Hello. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, uh, Donna, uh, you have said that your members, uh, people who run nursing homes, need help. Are you getting any of the help you need? Is this the help you need? We are getting help. Absolutely, especially from our hospitals uh, like like UHN, who's who's really been a great mobilizer in getting uh, vaccine to, into arms and long term care homes uh, across the Toronto region, and, uh, and and all of our long term care homes are mapped to hospitals across the province now. Uh, we have a lot of work to do though, and uh, we absolutely need more help. Uh, as you as you noted, Libby, the the numbers are are trending in the wrong direction. Uh, we have to get out ahead of this. We know that our long-term care home uh, residents are absolutely the most vulnerable to this disease, and uh, and we're racing against the clock in the time on this. Um, Alon Vaisman, I mean, uh, it's great that they've started to get vaccinated. It seems to me that it's kind of uh, luck of the draw for the long-term care homes. I talked to your colleague, Dr. Brian Hodges, a few days ago. I was looking at pictures at your team vaccinating at uh, Castleview Witchwood, which is right down the street from me. So uh, he said your team is on track to finish the 15 homes they have uh, in a couple of days. But, you know, um, other regions not so well organized. Yes. So in Toronto, the uh, vaccination that has gone out through the tertiary centers, like the large hospitals here, have long-term care facilities affiliated with them. And so their teams have been able to organize and get out 
and vaccinate the long-term care homes, the patients and the staff working there. So, for example, UHN is affiliated with 15 of these, and every other hospital in Toronto also does that. But in the areas outside of Toronto, um, certainly it, is, it has started. It's just not happening at the pace uh, at the same rate that we've had inside Toronto. So it's not that the homes outside Toronto are not getting vaccinated, it's just that it'll happen currently, at least, at a slower pace. Well, yeah. And uh, Donna, does it make sense to you that this, the rush on getting people vaccinated is, is only in the four hotspots when you have more than half of the homes in outbreak outside of those areas? Well, we know there's a limited supply of vaccines, Libby, and so we know that we're, we're reliant on the supply chain to have the right vaccines come in. Uh, we were disappointed when uh, the Pfizer vaccine couldn't be moved into our long-term care homes, so there was a lag time in, in being able to vaccinate our, our residents, even even in the, the, the four main hotspots. Uh, we know from wave one what the, the, the greatest risk factors are and where we're seeing the greatest losses, and they are in the hotspots. Uh, we, we need to get the whole province uh, vaccinated, but we have to be mindful about the supply chain and, and, and uh, making sure that we're getting into the homes where we know we have the greatest risks and uh, community spread, hotspots, old homes, uh, as we've seen in, in some of the, the tragic outbreaks in, in this wave in Toronto, as soon as uh, COVID gets into the homes and our staff get infected and our residents get infected, uh, we lose staff and the home becomes so profoundly destabilized, creating even more risk. So we, we do support uh, the prioritization of the hotspots, but recognize um, all of our seniors and all of our residents and our staff and our essential visitors uh, need to be vaccinated as quickly as possible. Dr. Vaisman, suddenly there is a lot of talk. I believe it was started by General Rick Hillier, who does not have any medical background that I'm aware of, of uh, changing the protocol for the vaccines and either lengthening the amount of time between the first and second shots, or some people are even saying, well, maybe we can get rid of it altogether. Uh, What do you think of that? Yes, there's two sides to that argument. The first is if you uh, focus more on just getting shots into people's arms without worrying as much about the second dose, you're likely able to reduce mortality faster because the effect, at least some of the effect, is felt already in the first seven to eight days after the first shot. The downside and the other side of the argument is that, well, you may not be able to properly vaccinate on the second dose. So, you know, the, the things that favor doing that kind of approach is that, of course, you can get people vaccinated very quickly, and also the protocols themselves, uh, you know, we, we have the days that are set out by the Pfizer and Moderna, the producers of the vaccine, but it's not for certain that, you know, it has to be day 21 or day 28 for sure. A few days here and there likely don't have a major impact. And on top of that, the producers of the vaccines are also actively looking at whether they can modify things so that you can have only one vaccine. But certainly we should do our best as much as possible to follow the protocols, but you know, there's always that every unit, every health administration needs to think about their own population and what they think is the best way to reduce mortality as fast as they can. Okay, well, I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds on this, but you're talking about reducing mortality. And my understanding is that the contagion is more dangerous because, for instance, with the more contagious strain, if it infects more people, ultimately more people will die as opposed to if uh, it's deadlier. 
Yes, uh, certainly that's the that's the consensus with the new strain. The variant that has uh, been identified in the UK is that it's more infectious. And certainly, as you said, the more people who obtain it, the more likely you're going to die simply because there's more people affected. So the push for vaccinating as many people as possible is partly fed by that concern that this variant already exists in Canada and in Ontario, and we should just try to get the first dose in to as many people as we can. But will would a first dose prevent uh, the spread of that more contagious variant? Theoretically, it should. Uh, we don't believe that that variant is non-responsive to the vaccine. At this point, we do think that the vaccine will protect you from that variant. And so if you get as more people protected from the vaccine, from the virus as possible, there is less likelihood, at least in theory, that they'll be able to pick it up and transmit it to other people. And we also know that people who get the vaccine have produced antibodies to the virus. So at least based on that data, we, we do think that you're less likely to pick it up and transmit to other people. And do you have a, a number before I um, move back to Donna? Do you have a number on the how, how what was how what was the percentage of protectiveness from one dose? Yeah. So although we don't, uh, the, the advice from the manufacturer isn't to give people only one dose. Uh, everyone in the study either got zero or two doses. We do know that after the first dose people did already have a significant improvement or a reduction in risk of about 80%. And then after the second dose, that reduction went all the way up to 95%. So there is a substantial improvement even after the first dose, but still the recommendation is not to give only one dose. Still, the plan is to give two doses to obtain the highest level of protection. Donna Duncan, vaccinating the population is one thing, but they have to get through these vaccines and they also, it takes time to to build that immunity. In the meantime, what do you need? Well, we still need help. Uh, we need people. Uh, we know that we have uh, real pressures on our nursing staff and our regulated health professionals. Uh, we know, as I said, once we get outbreaks in the home, and no matter how small the outbreak, uh, it can be devastating to our staffing situation, uh, especially outside of the, the, the urban centres where we have uh, significant shortages of nurses. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, all of us do what we can to avoid community spread and to follow the rules. Uh, we know that this comes in from the outside. So we, we've got to make sure that um, we wash our hands, wear masks, stay home uh, and protect our seniors. And uh, we, we, we do need to also move forward with testing and, and bringing uh, rapid testing, antigen testing into our homes. So that uh, that's uh, another uh, arrow in our quiver against this horrible virus. So we do have pieces in place. Uh, we need, need, need more structure uh, and we need more help. And, and we need to start to think about the future as well on the other side of this so that uh, we never let this ever, ever happen again. We've we've done a great disservice to our, our seniors. Well, it, it, it's terrible. And I mean, our take on what's going on with the government is that I think they're taking a reasonable stab at, at uh, reimagining the whole system. But in terms of dealing with the crisis, not so much, not at all. Um, a lot of people are saying that really we should call in the military again. What do you think of that, Donna? I would hope that we don't need the military, but uh, quite honestly, I, I know our, our members, uh, our homes will take whatever help they can get when they need it. We've seen homes in crisis calling for help. Uh, the Red Cross is helping in a number of homes uh, across the province. Uh, we we know that 
in this wave, the hospitals just don't have the capacity to come in and help us in, in exactly the same way uh, that they did in wave one. We, we did not have that hospital surge in wave one. So we had the benefit of, of teams of, of people coming in, not just as they are for vaccine clinics, but to actually come in and help us stabilize the front line, help us with our infection prevention and control measures, making sure we're using personal protective uh, equipment uh, properly. But uh, we, as we've seen in, in the GTA, uh, in some cases, the hospitals that came to help couldn't help us anymore. And then we had to get another hospital to help. So we will we will take whatever help we can get. The key is that as soon as a home, we, we know what the risk factors are. Uh, we need to be working together to monitor these homes so closely to make sure that they don't go into catastrophic outbreaks. And we need to get help in as quickly as possible. Let's forget process. Let's get the help in as quickly as possible uh, and wherever we can get that help. I, I want to get to a couple of p- calls, but I just want to pick up on something you just said. Let's forget process. Because yesterday I was talking to some family docs in the community who are uh, very upset that they have not been communicated with, consulted or anything at all. And they were also talking about uh, excessive process, excess, excessive bureaucracy. Is is that an impediment, Donna? I, I would say that there there is too much process. Uh, if, if we know that a home is going to be in crisis, then let's put a management order on the home as quickly as possible. Let's get an order in place. Let's get, let's get the, the reinforcements in as quickly as possible. But let's not wait for, for the home to collapse before we say, oh, look, we've, we've you know, this is tragic. We're losing all of these people. We know what happens when a home goes into an outbreak and when they're in a hot spot, when they're in an old building, and when they have no staff. So let's prioritize those. Let's problem solve. Let's reach out to our primary care providers and family health teams and, and other partners who we know will want to volunteer. So we've got to open the lines of communication and we need to uh, make sure that we can have people come in as quickly as possible uh, when we need them, well, not they, when it's too they, late. They want to come in. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They they want to come in. So it so you're saying the management orders take too long. Uh, it, so who is who is holding things up? There, there's there's a lot of process for for bringing in a management order. There has to be inspections. The ministry comes in. They do an inspection and then do an assessment. And once they've done the assessment, then they have to negotiate the management order with a hospital or another another partner. Uh, so it can it can take uh, days, if not weeks, to get help. Wow. Um, let's take a couple of calls. Cheryl in Newmarket. Hello, Cheryl. Hello. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Um, what I'm calling about is I am an essential caregiver. My husband is in long-term care. And I'm questioning that January 21st date. I was in... I actually have just left the building... And I just now was able to give permission for him to have the shot. They're getting it on the 13th. They have no idea when it's available for an essential caregiver. So I am questioning if you've been told the 21st of January, I don't know who's told you because I'm really questioning that. They, the people, the staff at his long-term care don't know. Well, you know, here's happen. Cheryl. Here's here's the thing. So um, as always, the the premier gets upset. He gets yeah. up yesterday saying we're going to do this by the twenty first. Then, you know what I heard from the general who's in charge of the rollout is saying, um, 
we've been challenged by the premier and we're taking the challenge. Uh, And I'm thinking, what exactly does that mean? And Mm -hmm. there is zero communication here. I mean, you're right on the front lines in long-term care. We are being inundated by people in the community who want to know, how will I know when it's my turn? What about vulnerable people in the community, which we are going to get to in the show? So um, all I can say to you, Cheryl, so that's new market. Um, at least your husband's getting his shot. Can you please make sure to, to stay in touch with us and let us know? I will, yeah. And I also, too, something else. I think sometimes comments have been thrown out by the government. I heard yesterday a comment about it will be available in doctor's offices. I contacted my doctor. They don't haven't heard one word. I spoke to my pharmacist. They haven't heard one word. So it's like they're putting the cart before the horse. Absolutely. And we were just talking to doctors in the community. We've talked to pharmacists. Uh, Cheryl, I'm out of time on this, so I've got to go. But please do keep in touch. It was nice talking to you. Okay. Um, Alon, uh, what about communication and and help and all of that? Yeah, uh, well, I think this is a, one example of a communication to set expectations for the community about what they're anticipating for vaccination. So setting a deadline of January 21st to vaccinate all the healthcare workers and members of the L- or the patients of the LTCs is a good start to notify everyone about their goals. I think there's going to need to be some communication about specific populations. I think everyone's going to be very curious, of course, to know about whether vaccination is safe in certain populations like pregnant or breastfeeding patients, patients who are immunocompromised. So I think communicating that out uh, to the the whole province is very important because you don't want to have a scenario where the vaccine is now available to everyone and people are hesitant or unsure due to some lack of education or lack of uh, information for them to read about so they can make the decision for themselves. Okay, I'm going to take a very quick one from Shirley in Collingwood. Hi, Shirley. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to say I have a, do- a granddaughter that uh, works in a nursing home in Cambridge. And apparently her nursing, they have two workers who have COVID. None of the patients have COVID. But anyway, uh, they have been apparently allotted 20 doses of vaccination and they were asked if they wanted if they want to have it they put their names in a hat and they're going to draw out 20 names well that's uh interesting uh shirley uh thanks for sharing that okay okay bye-bye bye okay uh we're going to have to uh, wrap this up for now, but uh, obviously this is something that we remain on top of and uh, getting very important new information all the time. And thank you so much, Dr. Alon Vaisman and Donna Duncan. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.